This is a Life School podcast, episode number 112. And today we're going to talk about the missionary living in your neighborhood. And it might just be you. No, I'm not a writer. Okay. Welcome to the Life School Podcast, where each week you're going to learn how to live with greater intentionality, as well as an integrated faith in all areas of your life. This is the stuff that your parents, your teachers, and your pastors forgot to tell you about. I'm Heath Hollinsby, here with your host, Caesar Kalinowski. Good morning, Caesar. Good morning, Heath. Is it morning where everybody's listening? I Maybe wonder. not. Maybe it's not, but it's morning for us. Huh? It's morning here. Hey, we have a guest today with us, uh, Peyton Jones. Peyton. Wow. I'm super glad he's here with us. Yeah, good friend of yours. Uh I'm just getting to meet him, but I'm excited about... I read a part of his new book. We're going to talk about that. But uh, Peyton's an accidental church planner who's been on the front lines of ministry for over a decade. He uh, has a new book out called Reaching the Unreached, which recounts like stories and struggles and triumphs of individuals and churches that have tried to reinvent themselves to meet the world where it is. Uh, And then he also has this concept of teaching how to convert pew jockeys into missionaries and awake the sleeping giant. Pew jockey. I like that. Get after that, Peyton. (laughs) Hey, Peyton. Pete Mitchell special. I can't take credit for that one. All right. Peyton, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be on here, man. I I love Caesar K and uh, dig dig the work he does, man. So this is an honor for me. You told me recently I was your first podcast interview when you guys started years ago. You were you were my first video. You were a Church Planner Magazine's first video oh, right. That's interview. Wow. And it was perfect, man, because I think we both approach it like it was kind of a joke. And that uh, worked. Was I having a bad hair day? Probably. No, <laughs> no, no we were just, I think we were just being us, man. Oh, man. Listen, I want to tell our listeners uh, that they may not consider themselves church planters per se, quote unquote. And I know that a lot of people tuning in actually are. They would say, hey, yeah, that's what I do. That's my wife and I. We have a team. We're planting churches. But I, I don't don't tune out because um, we really are all uh, missionaries. It's part of our identity. You've heard me talk about that. Peyton is a really rare and cool individual who, uh, like I hope we are all learning to be, is is really kind of pushing this stuff down into the normalcy of life, while also calling us out of some of our weirdness and old patterns. And so there's going to be stuff in here for you, even if you quote unquote never plant a church. Okay, so you know stick around, and yeah, it's going to be great. So anyway, let's get started. Peyton, let, let me jump in just right off the top. Uh, read uh, your book fascinating stuff. I love the title, uh, and we're going to give people a link to that here in the future. One of the things that you mentioned is that the church has substituted fun instead of adventure. Uh, and I know that you've spent a lot of time overseas planning uh, churches and sharing the gospel. How do you compare the American church with those in other countries when it comes to like fresh expressions that reach into their cultures? And tell us more about this idea of the church as fun. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, man. Well, you know, if it's not fun, I'm I'm probably not going to do it, right? I mean, we mentioned just now about, you know, that interview. I think we just had fun. And that's what I meant by it being a joke is just we were smirking the whole time. In fact, it's a funny interview. But the reality is um, this book is really kind of like every pastor, every leader, every missional community leader. I mean, everybody wants to know how do I mobilize everyday believers to be missionaries. And there's something that kind of unlocks in believers at a certain point. I think Caesar and I both would have spent a, a good number of our our, our 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 years of ministry trying to see people awakened. And that's what this book is really about. And I can remember coming back from 12 years of living in Europe where 
Uh, gosh, there was 1.3% church attendance and 0.3% evangelical. That means a third of a percent. And I know that's kind of like a bad word nowadays, but basically people that believed that there was such a thing as salvation and, you know, so it, it was kind of a losing battle. Pretty stark. Yeah. Pretty stark. Yeah. yeah. And it was kind of a, it was kind of a losing battle. And so I can remember um, being over there and and just, you know, nothing that you would do. And I, I started off in Martin Lloyd-Jones' church as the evangelist, and uh, I was a, you know, a poster child for, for the Reformed faith, and, and it kind of put me in a straitjacket where you just did all the stuff that you read about, you know, the forefathers doing, and um, street preaching, door to door. I mean, all this stuff nobody wants to do. Me and Hudson Taylor. <laughs> exactly. It was kind of like there was this. Well, actually, I love, I love that guy's story. With you know, insane, you know, like these are guys I respected, but you know, it, it was kind of like nothing we did worked. And then nine eleven hit, and my support dropped in half, and I had to go work in a factory. And right away on the factory floors looked like a dungeon. I actually worked in the the factory where Blade Runner was filmed where they're on Mars. That's no joke. Literally That's my favorite movie. Come on. What? Yeah, literally. Let's just talk Blade Runner now. Let's talk. So get it get Peyton's book and then but let's talk about Blade Runner for next you know. Hey, I'm down. No, keep with going. That. Keep going. In fact the book is themed around Indiana Jones because what it's all about is trying to get you to do this stuff. Not that stuff. Not not the stuff that's um uh, you know like the stuff nobody wants to do. But there's stuff you want to do. Like I think most people want to do evangelism, but it's like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. What we've been told is effective evangelism is an effective evangelism. And so part of it is, look, therefore we stay back like Indiana Jones as, you know, the lecture. We stay in our lecture halls and we stay with our bow ties and our, our, our spectacles on and we lecture each other all the time. But there is an adventure out there. And if we, you know, th this book is more kind of about helping you don a fedora, crack a whip and shoot, man, grab a machete and get out there. But not. I, I love that. I love the idea of that. And, and when I was working in Eastern Europe, uh, you know, training church planters and helping people start communities and plant churches, one of the biggest things, I mean, you are tapping this, brother, was that what the church was calling their young new believers to Right. There was like what they were calling them to was this old sort of dead system. Uh, there's like 30, 40 people there. They're all, you know, like f four or five decades older than the, you know, the, the college kids that they're calling to it. And they called them to such a small adventure. There was, in fact, no adventure at all. And we said to them, the reason they're leaving, quote unquote, the church is they're not chucking their faith and they're going to university and finding careers is because they want to count. They want they, they need an adventure. They know that they were created for so much more than this. Let's call them to a much higher bar and a greater adventure, one that is like the thrill ride of their life. And guess what? When we did, all of a sudden they had all these people stepping up to lead and they wanted training and they were just changing their life. And I'm talking just normal people. Yeah. It wasn't people self-identified as, I want to be a pastor, I want to be a church player. It was like, no, great, great young guy, great young couple. The church isn't calling them to anything worth dying for. So they'll just go after business and a nice house like everybody else, right? You know, and, and that's exactly it, man. Like all of a sudden, you know, I, I'm an accidental church planner because I accidentally, after I quit ministry, um, not because I was a failure. I mean, it was very successful, but um, we were seeing, we were going to universities and, and seeing people come to faith. But problem was, um, I, I just kept feeling like I had to fight 
church people to really do things that that effectively reach people. And I, I'm I'm sure I broke churches when I went into them. Pretty soon I started thinking, man, I'm I'm just not going to do this anymore. I told God, hey, I love you, but your people suck. I'm out of here. And you know, oopsie. <laughs> Wait, did you just, would you think that or did you say it out loud just now? <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, back one of the first podcasts we did back on episode 103, we were talking about the concept of evangelism and sharing our faith. And uh, I think what you just mentioned about the square peg in the round hole is important because, um, you know, when it becomes methodical, there's no buy-in, right? If it's part of your story... Uh, part of your life. Yeah, if it's part of your natural rhythm of life. Evangelism ties into who you are as maybe a mechanic or managing a grocery store or uh, just being a general Jesus person in all of yeah. life. Where we don't have to we don't have to pull up this bullet point system of evangelism like the Romans road. It, it always felt awkward because it didn't feel normal to life. Okay, listeners, first thing you need to go buy a bullhorn. They're super cheap. <laughs> you can get them really Radio no. Shack. Wait, no. So yeah. let me let me get back to the point though. Um, give me some examples. Give our give you know uh, our family listening here today. Give me some examples, uh, creative stuff that you've seen done. You've been a part of. You see others doing. I know you get a lot of email and you travel quite a bit speaking about this. That is is like a better adventure, a bigger adventure. And it's actually having an effect on their lives and the lives of like the culture and the community that they're trying to you know reach with the gospel. Give us some, give us some examples. Of hey, this, man. so seven years into Wales, man, the hardest country I could think of to possibly reach people. Um, when I quit and was like, hey, I don't want to work for you anymore, God. Um, I was just working as a barista, finishing up a, an MA, getting ready to come home, and people came through the the bar because you know people need coffee as well as well as God and uh they would ask hey what do you think of Dan Brown Da Vinci Code that was like it was like 2005 and 6 and I just And if you're a Christian you had to hate it you were supposed to hate that Apparently and I hadn't read it and then and save and save some bullets for the shack cuz it's coming out in a couple years and you're going <laughs> to Exactly. Well, that was my next church plan. So here, here's what happened was I was like, you know, hey, I'll, I'll read it. And, you know, first off, one man's castaway is another man's treasure. And in Europe, man, I don't care what it was. People are talking about Jesus. To get a European talking about Jesus, that was solid gold. So I threw a reading group. Now, after being in that country seven years um, as a missionary— I couldn't get 30 non-believers in a room to talk about Jesus if I had tried. But that night, that's what happened. At the end of that night, they were like, hey, we doing this again? I'm like, no. And they were like, well, could we? I guess. It'd be kind of stupid. So I wasn't even trying to do evangelism. It was just—and here's kind of what we're saying. Um, There is an adventure, but it's shaped in the shape of you. It's not going to be— someone else's model of it, it, it. It's connected to unlocking your gift. So I love reading, man. I, I read in my sleep. I think I, I wake up in the morning, I've read books, you know? Um, and, and here's the deals that for me, uh, that was just natural to, to meet with a bunch of people as a book club and talk, talk about whatever reading. I, I wasn't even going to do it again, but literally if I found my sweet spot of what I love to do, it could be skateboarding, man. You could throw a, a half pipe in your cul-de-sac and, man, talk about people coming out of the woodwork. I live in California in a beach community. Man, people crawl out of the woodwork and stink and skate, and you you just be talking to people all day and, and getting to know people. You'd be like the king of the neighborhood where I'm at. You know, and it plays into something that you said about God using ordinary people. Um, rather than waiting. Yeah, rather than 
waiting for super leaders to emerge or something. You know? Yeah, exactly. So like, what does that look like for you uh, practically in your everyday life? You, you mentioned the concept of like, you start producing your own leaders uh, by using ordinary people. Um, this obviously doesn't happen, I would assume, in a classroom. Where do you see it happening? Well, so for me, you know, I, I, I want to invade public space. I don't I don't start churches and buildings anymore. I don't. Um, I, I just, you know, I look at, at, at the apostles, man, and most of what they did was done outside. Um, I suppose because no one would have them. But Jesus, his ministries, outward people are mixing and mingling. So for me now, it's kind of like, Planting churches at a certain point just became easy. I didn't need faith for that anymore. But like for me, I, I remember one night we were um, we, we decided to to do an open mic night in the gay coffee house down the road from us in Long Beach, and just talk with people. Not you know just throw topics out there and open mic night and host that and discuss. And that that was probably the freakiest, scariest thing that I ever did. But it was the most rewarding because now all of a sudden I'm connecting with with people that are so marginalized are never going to darken the door of a church. And I'm having these rich conversations and getting to know them as people and, you know, people that God loves and is is crazy about. And that to me, like, that's what I live for nowadays. I don't got to be a preacher to do that. I don't got to be ordained to do that. Like, how do you how do you connect that to leadership? Because, you know, that's. Even as the church is always looking for more leaders, right? And if that's a big church, if that's more traditional church, great. But even as, like, you know, I think you and I are cut from much of the same cloth. We're not we're not planting church services. We're building relationship around the gospel, and, and the church emerges. But how, you know, back to Heath's question, which I liked, um, how, how does that, like, lead to, you know, diving right into the fray there, how does that ultimately then lead to, or how is it, because I, I do see it, I'm, I'm probably showing my hand, how is that leadership development ultimately? Well, so I have a theory that, you know, like I used to look for ministry helpful hopefuls and say, well, that guy looks like a leader. Well, Jesus took 12 people that looked nothing like leaders. Nobody would have, I mean, maybe John, maybe maybe Andrew, but they were already- The 12 all, numbskulls. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but really they were all knuckleheads. You know, John and Andrew want to call fire down on people. You know, I mean- and none of these guys would have passed any kind of mission board tests or anything. But the reality is I just got this theory and, and it comes from planting out multiple churches. You run out of your good people real quick about the second or third church plant, you know, your first stringers, second stringers, third stringers. Then all you got left over is like the, the, the injured people and the, the mascots in the chicken suit, you know? <laughs> and so for me, it, uh, my theory, and I, I began to see this in practice because I'm not smart enough to come up with theories, but I realize what we call leaders, I, I now believe that those are just people that had really good discipleship. Yep. You know, and so I don't, I don't, my leadership theories change. I think everybody's got a leader born within them. And if we were discipling like they did in the early church, we'd be multiplying like they did in the early church. Yeah. I always tell people leadership development is discipleship further up the slope. Amen. Like it's not anything special or different. It's just it's it's a longer road and you keep going and people mature and they mature and and healthy things grow and that's how that works. It reminds me of a uh, I watched this interview with one of the largest fast food chains out there and they were asking the CEO the, the key to his success. And he said, "I never taught somebody how to make a hamburger. I taught people to teach people how to make hamburgers." Uh, and it was that duplication 
that he claims was the key to success for this massive brand. And as we're talking about discipleship, like, what do you think happens to Christianity if Jesus' call to make disciples isn't held as our primary mission anymore, or our reason to exist or gather? Because you know that's the case, brother, right? I mean, so much... Here, I'm sticking my finger in some chests here, but so much of church planting isn't, hasn't even been connected to disciple-making. It's been church service planting, right? So what happens when the call to make disciples isn't held up as our primary sort of mission and reason we exist? Absolutely. So the other day I was, I was on Facebook and I was included on a chat that was, hey, how big should your core team be? And guys were saying, oh, we were 100 or we were 10 or we were... And I was like, gosh, I don't even think about it that way. I mean, for me, right, like I'm going to go just like spend time with people and, and get involved in their lives. And, you know, we would call it outreach, I suppose, for for lack of a, I mean, that that's a loaded word. But I mean, that can be creepy in and of itself. But let's just put it this way. I'm going to go start with complete unchurched people and I'm going to spend time there. And if and if people aren't coming to faith during that time, I got no business planting a church. And I think we're doing it back to front, right? The Apostle Paul rolls in. That's exactly what he does. He sets up his tent in the marketplace. He, he goes where people traffic. He's meeting in public spaces with people. It looks different every time. There's divine appointments. And at the end, if it's justified, in other words, people come to faith as a result of his life and ministry— then boom, a church just happens. We we tend to think Paul like rolled in and started mega churches. Yeah, yeah. Sexy logo, website, rinse a public hall. No, that's it. Good sound system, not a used one, new one. You know, um, <laughs> but I but I I'm you know I feel led to remind people none of the churches that Paul started are still around today. Yeah, and it, which is not to say he did a bad job and or that the fruit of that didn't continue. Is that but what his idea about what we call church planning, it was exactly what you're saying. He he came into an area, and he met with people, and he did life, and he set up his tent, and he made tents, and he was with people, and he paid their bills, and he taught them, and he poured his heart out, his heart out, and and I mean, and he's accused of not being that eloquent about it, and all of that. But his goal was never to like, okay, by the time I leave, you know, Ephesus, I gotta have a giant building fund all stacked up, and we're well underway, and when, you know we're up to eleven staff, and it, this it was like a whole other world. And I know we live in a different culture. It's not to throw organized, uh, you know, well-run church under the bus. It's just that. Uh, back to my question, back to Heath's question: When discipleship, you know, people on people, life on life, life in community, life on mission, isn't held up as our primary mission then, then I, boy, it's a slippery slope of why we do what we do and why we're gathering the way we're gathering. Very much so. Here's a follow-up to that. Here's a follow-up to that. A little bit of a left turn, but uh, but I think it's important. Um, when when you're diving in, you're meeting people, you're in a neighborhood, you're being yourself, It's you're not trying to put on you know some facade or roll out a canned, like, whatever speech and get people to sign up and say the Jesus and Harper. What role does the Holy Spirit play in all of this? Like, you know, how, and, and how, how do we... How do we today even help lead people who are the church, right? That's people, not buildings or organizations, into a greater experience of the power of the Spirit so that they can sort of reach in and be. I I think this is the key to evangelism, right? I think just divorce yourself from everything you know of evangelism and start over. Let's go back to to Pentecost, right? It's a big day for Peter and in, in, in the Twelve, right? And they go, hey, what is this? And of course, it's a spirit coming in power, like Jesus promised. 
And Peter just immediately quotes Joel. I don't know if you guys find it weird that he quotes Joel. I find I've always found it really strange. Like he goes to this obscure minor prophet and, you know, about locusts, you know, and, and goes, hey, let me quote from that. Well, it was terrible times. And then all of a sudden there's this ray of hope. And God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And the key to that is they say, hey, you're drunk. You're drunk, Peter. Go home. And he, he says, no, this is for you. This is going to happen to you too. Your old men are going to dream dreams. Your young men are going to seem, and your women and your maidservants and your daughters and as many as the Lord our God will call, right? He goes, this promise is for you. In other words, he starts talking about the gifts. The gifts being unlocked in an individual is what makes the crucial difference. That's where evangelism, if you can discover your spiritual gifts evangelism is going to flow out of you. That's what happened to me in the coffee shop. That's what happens when a guy, you know, builds a half pipe. It might be the gift of service. It might be, you know, I I mean, I could go on and on. But the point is what Peter's saying there, Acts 2.42 that everyone loves to get all excited about, all that was was ordinary, everyday believers being activated in their gifts. And the Holy Spirit was just coursing through them. That's why when you go on a short-term mission trip, um, you know, and, and people poo poo that and I don't. And the reason why is I don't know what's going to happen on the other side of that. It's probably not going to be as helpful to the people that you're traveling to. It's you. It's that maybe for the first time you've gotten out of sitting in a Sunday service and the Holy Spirit has awakened your gifts because you're given opportunity to use them. And once that happens, you come back, you can't go back to business as usual anymore because you have been awakened it's like the matrix. It's like, you know, suddenly you're, you're awakened. It's time to start doing Kung Fu in the subway, man. Kicking butt. Taking eight. Time to start flying Black Hawk helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your gift, Caesar? Is that your, are, are that's, you awake? <laughs> that's, that's one of my spiritual gifts. You know, in nice. fact, maybe, maybe Peyton, you and I need to work on a, a new spiritual gifts assessment, you know, because I, you know, we've all been kind of raised with like, here's the 12 spiritual gifts that you get to have. And it's stuff like gift of helps, acts of service, administration. And they're all, they're all just completely plastered onto us based on running a service, right? Running an organization. <laughs> Church chores. Yeah, but like what if your what if your spiritual gift is you actually just really love to serve people and you see you know people that are that are just kind of floundering in life. So you build you do build a half pipe and so you give kids a place to go. And then and then you go like, you know what, man, they're sweating their guts out under the sun down here in Cali. So I'm just gonna start filling up coolers full of, you know, waters and Gatorades and stuff and putting them out just because that's what you do when you care for people that are sweaty, right? So we got we got to work on that. Maybe you know I'll work up a new spiritual gifts. You gift. you just described Refuge Long Beach, man. The last church I planted, there's a skate park right there. So we did. I mean, church was a it, that was it was it was a different animal. Another talk, but you absolutely we need to we need to fly those helicopters. A part of the wrap up that we do each week, Peyton, is uh, when we close, we give people three practical takeaways that they can get started with right now. And this could be their advice you have, or some action steps, or just anything that, that we could put in people's hands that they get to get started on right now. And if you're a listener driving or maybe you're wrestling kids or at the gym, maybe not at your desk, mm-hmm. uh, we want to give you those free downloads by going to 123lifeschool.com forward slash episode 112. Again, that's 123lifeschool.com forward slash episode 112. You'll get the free big three right away in your inbox. Peyton, uh, what, what would you say the big three takeaways you'd have for us this week would be? 
Yeah. So number one is um, discover your spiritual gifts. And I mentioned the short term mission trip, but, you know, it's a, it's a long way till <laughs> wherever you're going. But I've found that when you first came to faith, you you wanted to do something that was just natural. And probably someone told you you can't and like Caesar said, said, no, you got to you got to serve the church service. What I do is I tell people to grab a newspaper and circle the needs. And what you find is your passions are connected, your gifts, whatever starts really getting your heart pumping in the paper is probably connected to your gifts. So let your need, let the city's needs or your community's needs point to your passion, which will lead you to your gift. Take a walk around your neighborhood or your city and just see what's broken. And, and what, what, where does your heart beat a little quicker? That'll, that'll lead you. you know. Yeah. Your gifts are connected to your passion. That's a great first one. What's our second of the big three? Second one is start doing interactive church. So I mentioned about doing church in a Starbucks. We had discussions nonstop. And the spectator sport of going to church is not the New Testament activity of, you know, life and community. They were interactive. I mean, every church service that we do, if you can call it that, is interactive. Um, it may not be recognizable at times to people, but um, if you make your gatherings interactive, you will never be far from evangelism and discipleship. Those two things will always naturally happen. I'm going to drop the first amen that we've ever used on the podcast. Amen on that one. <laughs> amen. <laughs> awesome. All right, number three. Number three. Um, and this is Eleanor Roosevelt who said, do something every day that scares you. That's the best advice. And I mean, I mean, do something every day. Yesterday, I did something really stupid, but it scares me. And I did it anyways. And that's just part of, uh, for me, I have to, to always be exercising bold faith, particularly as a church planner who isn't currently planning a church. Um, I got to keep my edge. And so I, I allow myself to do scary things. And so for me, it was going on Facebook Live, man, because I, I know that sounds easy, but that terrifies me. As you do things that scare you, you're going to be needing to be leaning on God, particularly spiritual things. And you will, as you need God, that creates kind of like a vacuum where you're like, hey, I don't got this. And God, I need you. And that creates faith. Every step you take in fear leads to faith. Awesome. Wow. That's cool. I mean, people could keep rocking journals of the things they did every day that scared them. I hope people will. I hope I will more. Hey, let me let me, uh, let me me steal something from uh, you. I, I just I have to do this. I don't know what you call it. I can't remember what you call it, but, but you asked me a question similar to this one, so I'm going to ask you as we kind of wrap up here. If you were in a fist fight with Ed Stetzer, who would win and why? Well, first off, I have short man syndrome. So I win every fight when you ask me that question. I go into every fight thinking I'm going to win. <laughs> In fact, reaching the unreached starts with me getting my butt kicked um, by 300 pounds. That's that's the opening of the book. And uh, so I think I can beat everybody. I remember that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, my, my dad's bigger than his dad. He'll shoot his eye out. My dog will eat his dog. All that. So that's all the short man syndrome talk that I have. So why, so why, why are you hating on Ed so bad? No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not only an accidental church planner, but always a fist fight winner. Uh, thanks, Peyton, for joining <laughs> us on the show. Thanks, brother. Thanks for being with us. And I know that uh, our folks are going to get a lot from this. And I see, I told you, I promise you, you didn't have to be a church planner to be able to dive in deep here with Peyton and today's topic. So thanks for being with us, brother. 
Yeah. If you want a, a free download of this week's big three takeaways, you can get that again by going to 123lifeschool.com forward slash episode 112. That's 123lifeschool.com forward slash episode 112. We'll get those right to your inbox. And one of the things we really want to push is uh, Peyton's new book out. It's called Reaching the Unreached, Becoming Raiders of the Lost Art, which is a great title. Boom. You can get that uh, by visiting Amazon or by going to peytonjones.ninja or reachingtheunreachedbook.com. Uh, if you're liking the Life School podcast, uh, we'd like to encourage you to head over to iTunes and do three things for us. If you'd subscribe, that would be great. You could rate the show and then also give us some comments on how we're doing, uh, maybe some topics you'd like to hear about in the future. And we actually are developing a Facebook group that's starting to grow as well, uh, where we are able to take these shows and go into more in-depth. Caesar and I comment uh, back and forth on those. Yep. Just head on over to Facebook and uh, search up Life School podcast and then, you know, request uh, entry, whatever, how it works. Yep, and we we'll let you. you in. We'll let you in. We'll prove you. Unless you're a knucklehead, then we'll kick you back out. And uh, we hope to see you next week on the Life School Podcast. We're going to talk about introverts and extroverts. Um, sometimes they just don't understand each other really well. And when living life together, there's often conflict that arises. So we're going to look at both, see what makes them tick, and how we can serve each other even better. We hope you join us for that next week. Thanks for joining us this week for the Life School Podcast. For more information, visit 123lifeschool.com forward slash podcast.